0: For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That's how I wanted to start the message this morning, and so I decided to sing that just as I started singing. Um, those are the words that you find in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, if you are reading the King James Bible. If you have a newer translation, you will note that those words do not appear in the text. I think the New American Standard has it in parentheses. The NIV, the SV, they have it on a footnote, if you have a study Bible. because in the King James, those words are in italics, which means they really didn't appear in the original Greek text. But whoever was copying the scriptures, they gave a little editorial. And I think it's a great editorial. Because for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. The glory of God is a theme that runs all through the scripture. All through the scripture. And it's the overwhelming theme. It's the theme of life in this planet. It's the theme of heaven. The glory of God. The glory of God. So what does that mean? What does the phrase the glory of God mean to you? Today for the next 2 hours you don't know how much I cut out of my notes <laughs> we're going to look at the glory of God using a definition that Louis Giglio used I don't know 10 15 years ago when I listened to him preach glory when referring to God is God's infinite and intrinsic weight and worth. It's God's infinite and intrinsic weight and worth. Let's break that down a little farther. Infinite. Infinite means there's no beginning and no ending. There's no beginning and no ending to God's glory. If you begin to try to measure it or to add it up, it just keeps going and going and going. There's no way to contain it at all. That's why no matter how far into space the science looks with their telescopes, their computer imaging, they have not yet found a wall or cliff or a sign that says, the end. It just keeps on going and going. The glory of God is infinite. Not only does that word infinite mean there's no beginning or no end, it also means his glory is unsurpassed. His glory is unsurpassed. There's nothing bigger. There's nothing stronger. There's nothing faster. There's nothing smarter. Nothing more beautiful. There's nothing that will ever surpass God. We sing it quite often. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other. God's glory is infinite. The second word, intrinsic, that means it's his very nature. Glory is not something he acquired. It's not something he manufactured. It was not the product of him maturing and finally attaining glory. God has always had and always will have the same amount of glory. Well, I was sharing that the first service my mind was rolling and I'm thinking when I read this is not the product of him maturing and finally attaining glory. My mind went to Michael Jordan. The legend is, and I don't know if it's true or not, but the legend is he got caught in junior high, middle school, from the basketball team. He wasn't good enough. But he matured. And in his era of time, he became the greatest basketball player of that era. But his glory came in. He's no longer referred to as the greatest And now some younger guy's coming along because LeBron, he's getting to that place where he's about to go. His glory comes, his glory goes. God's glory, it always was and always will be infinite. God's infinite, intrinsic weight and worth several words in the Hebrew language that are translated into our English Bibles as glory. And one of the major words, which I believe is so closely connected to some other Hebrew words, means heavy, kabod. It means weight, something of substance. It's not cheap. It's not imitation. I forgot, but I intended to. At home, we got this punch bowl, this, you know, heavy glass. And somewhere around here, we got one that looks the same, but it's plastic. One has weight, one has no weight. The one has glory, and the one has very little glory. The difference. If you're to compete in the Olympics in 2024 in Paris, be the Summer Olympics in 2024, and it's in Paris, a great place to go to be in the Olympics. If you were to win a medal, what medal do you want to win? Everybody wants the gold one. The gold one. That means you won first place. If the medals were still made of gold, pure gold or pure silver, if they were, I don't think they are anymore. Bronze, That never was a pure metal, bronze is an alloy of about at least two if not three or four metals. But gold in its pure state is heavy, much heavier than silver, much heavier than bronze or brass. Even though the bronze may resemble in color, it weighs far less and it is worth far less than gold. There's an interesting story that's recorded in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles that has to do with Solomon in all of his glory. He had 500 gold shields made to put on the walls of one of his palaces. 200 of those shields had seven and a half pounds of being Now that doesn't sound like very much until you stop and consider that And at a rather expensive price. So 200 of them had seven and a half pounds, 300 of them had three and three quarters pounds of beaten in them. When Rehoboam became the king of Israel, when Solomon passed, the king of Egypt saw a weakness and he came and he cleaned out a whole lot of Solomon's riches by an act of war. And he took those five hundred shields. Now to save face, one need to replace them. He did not have a good insurance policy, and he did not have a good savings account. He did not steward his father's money. So he commissioned somebody to build five hundred new shields out of brass, out of bronze. He had them march when he went to the temple. They would, there's soldiers march in front of him and they would flash that bronze in, in, the, in the sunlight. And from a distance, everything looked real. But if somebody came and picked one up, seven and a half pounds of gold, bronze, they found out it wasn't the real deal. When we talk about God and the glory of God, he's the real deal weight, substance of the highest quality, the highest worth. God's glory is an original, not a reproduction, not a forgery. Glory, God's infinite, intrinsic weight and worth. One day when Jesus was talking with the 12, you read it in Matthew chapter 16, he's talking with these Men, and that's where you're the Christ, the son of the living God. But he goes down a little further and he said, if anyone is going to be my disciple, he must deny himself and come after me. Oh, but don't forget to take up the cross. Deny himself, take up the cross, come after me. And then he goes on in the next couple of verses to say these words, Matthew 16:26, For what is a man profited if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We live in a culture where our lives are spent reaching out to accumulate wealth, security, some people fame, prestige, those things that to our natural eye look like gold. They look like something important. They look like that's something I need to have to make me accepted in the world or better than the Joneses. But when it comes to that time you breathe your last breath and we put you in a box or an urn, whichever way you decide to go, what will your houses mean to you then? If you have more cars than Jay Leno, what will that mean to you? If you have as much money as Bill Gates, if you've lost your soul, you haven't found the real gold. You haven't found the real glory. The real glory is found in Jesus Christ and a relationship with him where I know that when I pass from this life, I've got treasures laid up in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy as wonderful as material things are they are weightless and worthless when it comes to the price of my soul what good will it be to gain the whole world jesus was making this statement and i i regret not putting it in your notes but i'm going to put it on the screen and i'm going to read it twice be careful Lest you give weight and worth to those things that are simply going to pass away instead of giving weight and worth to that which will endure forever. Be careful lest you give weight and worth to those things that are simply going to pass away instead of giving weight and worth to that which will endure forever. With those thoughts, As a basis for our thinking today, I want to take you on a journey through this book, the beginning to the end, looking at the glory of God, why it's so important, why it should be a core value, an anchor point for our lives as Christians, and for us as a of believers here on earth to be salt and light, to be stars shining in the darkness, the glory of God. The main point of this lesson is this, God and his glory are the thread of everything that is. God and his glory are the thread of everything that is. God and his glory is a thread that runs through everything in life. If we could see into the realm of the spirit and look how everything in our world is connected, It would be like taking a needle that had the glory of God as a thread and kind of like putting you all strung popcorn for your trees, Christmas tree. The glory of God is a thread that goes through every part of our life here. It connects everything from the beginning of eternity to in eternity when time is no more. Jesus, the glory and the truth of God is the thread that runs through it all. And to prove my point, we're going to run through Genesis through Revelation. You didn't think I was, you thought I was kidding you. I said too no, hard. We're going to begin at the beginning. Sound of Music says that's a very good place to start. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. I just want to think about those four words. In the beginning, God. There's the thread I referred, that's where it starts. As we read that rest of that chapter, you read that God created the heaven and the earth. God begins to thread his glory through the creation. Earth, sun, a moon, stars. God created day and night from total void, he spoke the planets and the stars into existence. From emptiness, he created an order so big, so precise, the human mind has no way to wrap itself around how he made it all to come to pass. In the beginning, God. When it all started, God. When the idea of creation came into existence, there was God already there. When there was nothing, there was God. When there was no earth, there was God. Before the Milky Way, there was God. In the beginning, God. Psalms 90 verse 2 said this, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalms 19.1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The glory of God. Earth is in the galaxy called the Milky Way, a constellation of stars. Somebody's calculated there's somewhere between 2 billion and 4 billion stars in the Milky Way. I know that's a lot of latitude, but that's, what I've read. Our galaxy is 100,000 light years in diameter. A light year is how far light travels at 186,000 miles per second in one year. So to go from one side of the Milky Way to the other side of the Milky Way only takes you 100,000 years. (laughs) This galaxy is moving at 600 kilometers per second in a rotation. That's not counting the Earth spinning. This is just the galaxy. Our galaxy is so big at 600 kilometers per second, it'll only take 200 million years to make one revolution. While contemplating those facts, consider this. As astronomers have looked into space I already alluded to, the universe, they have come to believe that there are billions of galaxies, billions. One Russian group of scientists, using a mathematical formula, believe that there may be as many as five billion galaxies in the universe, five billion. I can't comprehend that. Why all those stars? Why is the universe so incredibly large? How come we have yet to find the end of it? Because the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. His weight and worth. His infinite weight and worth. The number one reason those stars in the heavens declare is to sing to shine the glory of God. The heavens tell us there is no one, nothing like our God. He's an original. He's all. He's God with capital letters all across. Psalm 148, 14 says this, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Down to verse 7. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the deep. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountain and all the hills, fruit and trees and cedars. Beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty or his glory is above the earth and heaven. If we had all day, we'd sing it, majesty, worship his majesty, Right here, but we won't. God made the heavens to declare his glory, his weight, and his worth. Genesis 1.26 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. God said to the Son and to the Spirit, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. God created homo sapiens, that's us, human beings. We were stamped with eternal weight and worth. We were stamped with eternal weight and worth. No other creation bears the image of God but us. Not something transient, not something that was created to pass away. We were created in his image to live forever, marked by his glory, his weight, and his worth. Our very existence is a reflection of the glory of God. Our very existence is a reflection of the glory of God. Colossians 1.16 tells us, all things were created through him, that's Jesus, And for him. We were created through him. And for him. There isn't anything that was created that he did not create. But it was created for him. Genesis chapter 12 tells us about a man. A man named Abraham. Paul called him the father of faith in the book of Romans. God's dealing with Abraham is the beginning of a story of a nation of people, and ultimately a kingdom of people called the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That thread of glory, the thread went through Abraham. A man at the age of 75, God appears to him, says, I want you to leave your homeland and go to a place that you've never been before. Though he and his wife were childless, God said, I'm going to make you a father of a great nation. What is it that caused that man to make such a move? Stephen gives us the answer in his sermon before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7, verse 2, where he said, and Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Why did he pack up and leave home? Why did Abraham believe he was going to be the father of numerous children? It was because somehow he saw the God of glory. Somehow, by eyes of faith, he saw the God of infinite and intrinsic weight and worth. You know, at some level, every one of you who is a believer saw the God of glory and his weight and his worth, and you said, I want that in my life. I need that value. I need that value. Somehow, by faith, Abraham understood there's something here that's going to last. There's something of worth. There's something of value. I'm going to follow the God of glory where he tells me to go. If you go to Exodus, now we have the story of Moses. When you read the history in various places in the Bible of the Exodus and them traveling from Egypt to the promised land and everything that took place, you hear the phrase several times, for his namesake. For his namesake, talking about God's namesake. God said, I'm delivering you, I'm leading you, I'm forgiving you, all for my namesake. It was for his namesake they were delivered from Egypt. After all, it was the children of Jacob. Israel prevailed with God, the sons of Abraham. God had promised them. For his namesake he delivered. For his namesake he took them to the Red Sea. It was for his namesake that they had that promise of possessing the land that flowed with milk and honey. The tragedy is when they finally got to Kadesh Barnea after a couple of years. They did not believe that God was as big as God is. They didn't believe God could keep his promise. And they refused to go in lest they would all be killed in war. And so everybody over 20 died in the wilderness, only seeing the promise across the river and never experiencing it because they did not believe. But the amazing thing is, God still loved them. God still had mercy on them. God still provided for them until they passed away from natural means. Look what the psalmist had to say in Psalms 106, verse 7. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea Yet, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. If you've read the story in Exodus, after the last plague, God by a cloud and by day and a pillar of fire and night, he led the people out, and they took the long way to go to the promised land, and they end up coming to a cul-de-sac with the Red Sea on one side, mountains on the other side, and Pharaoh's army coming from behind them. And you remember what the people did? Why did you bring us out here to die? What is God doing? He's gonna kill us out here. Why did you do this to us? There was graves back in Egypt. We could have died naturally. Now we're gonna die a terrible death. God opened up the way They walked through and dry down. The Egyptian army came in, and God drowned them for his name's sake. What did they deserve when they began to complain against God? God didn't give them what they deserved. He gave them mercy. He gave them grace for his name's sake. He's saying it's important that people know who I am. And I've chosen you as a nation to show who I am. My hope was that through your faith in me, through following, following me, the world will come to know who I am, my grace, my love for them. I was hoping that through your faithfulness it would be a testimony of my glory because you can't be faithful. I will show the glory of who I am by showing you mercy for my name's sake for my name's sake. At this point, for you and I personally, it's good for us to remember the words, the first line of purpose-driven life by Rick Warren. Five words. Important words. You remember what they were? Put it on the sign already, so... Somebody's trying to help you out in this test. It's not about you. That is so contrary to the way our culture teaches us to live. Our culture wants us to believe it's all about me. And it goes way back. Even to our Declaration of Independence. We have the right to be happy, right? Right? Find fulfillment. Life is about the glory of God. Life is about living to give glory to Him. Life is about His reputation. And because that's the case, there's times that God just shows up and reminds us of who He is. And I pray that He does it again in a magnificent way. I don't know what kind of requirements you have for your God. My God, I want him to be omni. I want to have all the omni issues. Omnipotent, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. I want a God who's all-powerful, a God who knows it all, and a God who can be everywhere at the same time. Every once in a while, God just kind of says, hey, I'm God, I do have all power, I do know everything, and I'm always here. And for the sake of my name, I'm going to show you. that." Now, you understand that there's no man-made God that has any of those attributes, let alone all of them. That's why many of these nations, they have, like the Hindus, I think there's 4,000 gods because they have a God in charge of this, a God in charge of this, a God in charge of this, My God is omnipotent. He's in charge of it all. And everybody said? Amen. God comes and he displays the power of his name. When you're the only God, you can come and promote your name, not because he's full of himself, but because his self is full. I want you to think about that a moment. God's not full of himself, but his self is full. He has all power. He has all wisdom. He has everything. That's why the angels sing, holy, holy, holy. He's totally self-sufficient. Still thinking about Moses and the glory of God. Remember him on Mount Sinai? He's getting the tablets. God's engraved the Ten Commandments. God's given to him um, rules to live by besides the Ten Commandments as a community. And there he's on Mount Sinai with God and he's in this cloud where there's thunder and lightning that the people see and he hears the voice of God and he says to God, I want to see your glory. And God says, dude, if you see my glory, you're done. You can't see my glory and live. But here's what I will do for you. I will pass by you. And then Exodus 33:22 says said this, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. I don't know if you try to get a picture of that, but someplace there on that mountainside, there was this place, crack between two rocks. And God says, Moses, I want you to step back into that crack, put your back against the wall and close your eyes and don't open them until I tell you. God covers him with his hand. And as he passes by, he cracks his fingers open just enough for enough light to show through for Moses to get a glimpse of his glory. And you remember what happened to Moses' countenance by the fact that he just saw that for a second when he came down from the mountain, his face shone so brightly. The people said, cover your face, cover your face. It sign's too bright. We can't look at it. It's like looking into a light bulb because he stood in the presence of the glory of God. God is the sole proprietor of his glory. God is the sole proprietor of his glory. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. I am the Lord. That's my name. Tomorrow afternoon, Lord willing, my wife and I will be traveled to Cannon Beach for a gathering of Grace International Ministers from uh, Washington, Oregon, and, and Idaho, and Montana, and become from California, and some coming from Texas. And uh, we've already registered, but we will have to go to the registrar table and pay our fee. And the first thing that they will give us when we get there is a name tag, tells us our name, and what city we're from so that people we've never met know who we are. And for the people who are as old as we are and forget names, know who we are. It's great to have those name tags. I just wish they'd print the names bigger so we could see them. In Isaiah 42, God came into the room with his name God. The Lord LORD in caps the I am that I am. By doing that, I wanting you and I to know this. if we've made a Lord of anything else or anyone else, we are going to be severely disappointed. That man you're married to or going with or lusting after. Unless his name is the Prince of Peace and Wonderful Counselor, he's going to fall short of meeting all your needs. The same goes for your wife or your girlfriend, the one you're dreaming of. Unless she can say, I am the I am that I am, she needs to move down the priority list. Your husband and wife cannot be number one, and you find complete joy and fulfillment and purpose for living. You must put Jesus Christ as Lord. He must be the Lord. And if he's the Lord, the rest of it will fall into place. Because your wife, your husband, cannot do what only God can do. And don't make a God out of them because they aren't one. Or your children, or your job, or any other thing. Holy... Holy, holy. He's the only one who brings to us completeness, fulfillment. So God comes in the room and he, and he stands before you today in a kind and wonderful way. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. No sharing the marquee with another, no co-stars, no producers, no agents. I am the Lord. The Lord. That's my name. There's no reason to. There's nothing else that has infinite intrinsic weight and worth. Nothing. Revelation 4 8 and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes around within and day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy. He's the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The only one that that last line can be said of is God. The one who was and is and is to come. You can read the stories of people in history who were here once, but only for a period of time. They are no longer. Right now in our world, there's over 7 billion people, almost 8 billion people. Well, we can say where there is If Jesus tarries, there'll be millions, if not billions more, yet to come. But there's no one who can say, I'm the one who was in eternity, I'm the one who is now, and I'm the one who will be when time is being counted no more. In our world today, there's some really famous people who faces and names all over the world. Sad to say, some of them might rate higher on the Charged in Jesus Christ. With the media, the technology of the day, movie stars, singers, politicians, athletes with worldwide fame, but none of them can say I was the one who was from eternity past. And I am and I will be forever the Son of God. The first commandment is about the glory of God. It's about the glory of God. Do you remember the first commandment? in chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. None. Do not make any graven images. Bow down to them. No other gods. God says, if we are going to be a culture with laws and boundaries to define our values, this is where it starts. No other gods before me. Was God trying to ruin our lives when he said that? Was he trying to limit our freedom and our sense of joy when he said, no other gods? Not hardly. What God was trying to tell us, if you put anything else in the place that I should occupy in your heart, you're getting ripped off. You're getting shortchanged. You're going to be left with weightlessness and nothing of worth. Bronze shields instead of gold plastic punch bowls instead of crystal. You were created for his glory. You were created for his glory. Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who's called by my name, whom I've created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Why are you here? To give glory to the God of glory. I love this promise from Habakkuk. His glory will fill the earth. His glory will fill the earth. His weight, his infinite weight and worth. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And I know that prophecy was 2,600 years ago, 2,500 years ago. I don't know if there's a time when that was fulfilled, but I pray that it happens in my time again. That the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will be like the ocean sweeping across the hearts of men and women. His glory fills the earth. And somehow I forgot a note to put on your notes so it's on the screen. Just memorize it. Don't write it down. You don't want to have time. His glory is his motivation for kindness on the earth. His glory is his motivation for not consuming us with fire. Isaiah 48, 9 and 11. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off but I have refined you, but not a silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake, for my own sake. I do it, for how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. He's talking to the Israelites or the Jewish people, the Judah and Israel. They're under punishment for their idolatry. But even in the midst of that, he said, for my name's sake, I'm going to show you mercy. I'm going to bring restoration. The birth of Christ was about the glory of God. The birth of Christ was about the glory of God. Remember in Luke chapter 2, and suddenly there were shepherds abiding in the field, a host of angels. Remember what they did? Verse 14 says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. Glory to God in his highest. The angels were saying, Man, the infinite, intrinsic weight and worth of God has arrived in Bethlehem. Glory to God. That's the story of Christmas. And we're part of that story. Christ came to save us. Remember, unto you is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. He came to save us from sin. He came to give us eternal life and the right for sonship in the heavenly kingdom. It's not about us. The number one issue is the glory of God in the highest. Yes, and on, and on earth peace to whom his favor rests, to the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. The next note. Jesus is the glory of God. Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul says, if you want to see the glory of God, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. John chapter 14, the disciples said, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus' response was, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hebrews 1, 3 says this, he is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why did Jesus do the things that he did while he was on earth? In Mark chapter 2, you read a, a really great story. Four men have a friend who's a paralytic. They bring him on his cot, his bed, to Jesus to be peeled. They get to the house where Jesus is teaching, it's teeming with people, they can't get in. So one of them says, there's a stairway to the roof. Let's take him up the roof. They go up on the roof, they part the thatched roof, and they lower the man in front of Jesus. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven, take up your bed and walk and go. And verse 12 said this in Mark 2, and he arose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying we never saw anything like this. Because of what Jesus did, people began to glorify God. They acknowledged God's infinite weight, his infinite worth. There's no one else like you. Jesus' deity was verified by glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus' deity. In the Gospels, you read that there came a day when Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the inner circle, the inner three, and they went up on the hillside. And when they get on the hillside, Elijah and Moses show up from heaven. And for a moment, Jesus' physical being is overcome by his spiritual being. And he begins to shine like the sun. And I think it one of the Gospels say that they passed out by that. And when they came to, Peter said, let's just build three tabernacles and, and hang out here. There's nothing like being in the presence of God. But Peter's testimony later, when he was writing a letter to the churches in Asia Minor, Second Peter 1 says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myth when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his, of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. We saw the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus died for the glory of God. Jesus died. You say, Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for you, and he died for me. Because the Father loved us, and he loved us so much, and his everlasting love, that's part of his weight and worth, but look at the words of Jesus a few days before he's crucified. John 12, 27 said this, "'Now is my soul troubled, what shall I say? "'Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. If you go to John chapter 17, and he's praying the high priestly prayer before he goes into the garden of Gethsemane, Father, I've glorified your name, now glorify me. The subtext here in this verse we just read, Jesus saying, Father, we're going to show the world you're not like any other God that men have created in their minds. Their gods all require men and women to jump through all kinds of hoops, hurdles, obstacles in their pursuit of their God and their God's blessing in their life. With man-made gods, they must all pay for their own sins. But Father... Our name is going to be glorified in the fact that unlike any other God you can come up with, we do all the jumping through the hoops over the hurdles and the obstacles to save men. Father, glorify your name. Show the world your grace and your mercy unmatched. There's no other God who loves like you love. There's only our God that comes near You're the God that comes and breaks down every wall and every barrier between God and man. Father, glorify your name. Father, I'm dying for your glory. Jesus' death and resurrection were for the glory of God. And I've got proof, in case you think I'm a heretic. Philippians 2, 9 says this, Therefore, what therefore? Because Jesus emptied himself, became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What's the issue with sin? Sin doesn't make you bad, it makes you dead. And because we're dead, we're cut off from the infinite, intrinsic weight and worth of God. It keeps us from the presence of God. But the gospel message, at the core of the gospel message, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When we choose our own way, we miss out on the glory of God. Paul, talking to the Romans in the first chapter of Romans, he said in verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, resembling mortal man, birds and animals, and creeping things. And talk about a stupid trade. Did I say that? Yes, I did. The infinite, trading the infinite, intrinsic weight and worth of God for something man made, crafted to look like something in this world that is passing away. Sin will do that to you every time, it will deceive you. And we trade the eternal for the temporary, the gold for the bronze the crystal for the plastic. But the gospel reconnects with the glory of God. The gospel reconnects with the glory of God. Verse 27 of Colossians 1 says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This saint is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinner, of whom I'm the foremost. This is Paul talking at the end of his journey. But I've received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He writes to the church in Galatia, chapter 1, verse 3, Grace to you and peace from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sin to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Our being born again is all about the glory of God, being reconnected with his glory. Seven things. Life's purpose is to glorify God. Life's purpose is to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Here's a grid to help you decide what you should do or not do in this life. Can I do this for the glory of God? There were times that some of my children hated me. And I know it's hard to believe that anybody could hate me. (laughs) Kind and compassionate person I am. But there were times that they would want to do something that all their friends were planning to do And I had the audacity to ask them, what would Jesus do? And I know there was times that I told them, I want you to pray about that, then come and ask me again. There were times that I said, I'll have to pray about that before I give you an answer. Because everything might be legal to do, but not everything's expedient when you're a believer. They didn't want me praying. They didn't want to pray about anything. They just wanted me to say, yes, go a good time so they could go without guilt. What they did not understand and what so many of us forget or don't understand even as mature adults is this. And I didn't put it in your notes, but I should have. But it's on the screen. Every time I decide to do something that is not to and for the glory of God, there's gonna be some guilt and conviction to bear at the end of the day. Anytime I decide to do something that is not to and for the glory of God, there's going to be some guilt and conviction to bear at the end of the day. Doing my own thing, and in fact, the scripture says, there's pleasure in sin. If it was not pleasurable, we would not do it again and again, would we? And it might be pleasurable for the moment, but it comes with consequences. Galatians tells us in chapter 6, if you sow to the flesh, you reap of the flesh. If you sow to the spirit, you reap of the spirit. Paul said, run your decisions through this grid, your actions. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The glory of God trumps it all. Can I do this for the glory of God? Colossians 3.17, it said, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you can't do it in the name of Jesus, I mean, you can't walk into the Fiber Credit Union and say, give me all the money in the till in the name of Jesus. <laughs> well, you could try. Somebody will push a button and before you know it, there'll be somebody putting you away. Matthew five sixteen. in the same way, let your light shine before others so that he may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So the things that we're doing, we do them with this intention that God gets the glory. Isaiah 26.8. I put it on the screen in the NIV, and I think I forgot to put it in the NIV in your notes. But yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you, your name and renown are the desires of our heart. I shows the NIV because I want you to see that our desire is to make him famous. Our desire is to make him famous, not us, for his glory, for his glory. The purpose of life is to glorify God. That's why we're here. The purpose of death is to glorify God. The purpose of our death, the way we die can bring glory to God. Even in dying, it shows his glory, his infinite intrinsic weight and worth. John chapter 21, breakfast on the beach with Jesus. The disciples, six of them have been fishing all night and they've caught nothing. And Jesus invites them and he's got fish on the fire. And that's the context where he said, Peter, you love me more than these three times, letting him know that he's been restored from denying Jesus three times. And then he says to him, there's coming a day, Peter, when they're, they're going to take you where you don't want to go. Somebody's going to pick you up and carry you where you do not want to go. And then John writes this, verse 19, he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. By what kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Because of the fact that today we're the children of the living God who exist not only in time and space, but outside time and space, are living And even our dying can bring glory to God. Whether I live in or die, my hope rests in him who is the glory. Something of value that can never be diminished or exhausted ever. Number three, our provision is from the glory of God. Our provision is from the glory of God. Paul told the church at Philippi, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory, in Christ Jesus. Number four, in heaven we share in his glory. In heaven we share in his glory. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. First Peter five ten, New Living Translation said this, In his kindness God called you into his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. Here in this planet, there's a pecking order according to how much money you have, how famous you are, how many rewards you've got, which part of the city you live in. There's coming a day when we're all going to share the same glory as we stand in the presence of the glory himself. If you have Super Bowl trophies or rings or gold medals, they'll all be meaningless when you get to heaven because it's not about us. It's because of God's amazing grace we will share His fame. We will share His glory. The one who died for God's glory, who rose from the dead for God's glory and redeemed us from our sin for God's glory. And for eternity we will appear with Him in glory. John said "Beloved, love of now are with the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be but we know this when Christ appears we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. We will share in his glory. Number five the church exists for his glory. The church that he said he would build exists for his glory. Ephesians three twenty said this now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to his power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. We gather together for the glory of God. Doesn't matter who the pastor is, the, the worship leaders are, the greeters are, whoever the elders are, it's all about Jesus. It's about the glory of God. It's about the glory of his presence. Almost every Saturday night, I pray that prayer. Lord, when we come into this house, may we sense the glory of your presence. Because if you don't come, there's no point in us being here. We need the glory, the glory of God, his weight of worth, wealth. It's Jesus' church. We're his people. We're here today because of his grace and his mercy, his will and his glory. His glory lights eternity. His glory lights eternity. Revelation 21, 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of a sun or a moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. Our eternal home will be lit by the infinite intrinsic weight and worth of Jesus forever is lighted by the glory of God. If it's true that he was and is and is to come, if it's true that our sin separates us from his presence, if it's true that his amazing grace he came to where we are, to reconnect this with God the Father, then it's also true that the benediction of our life should be, to you be the glory forever. To you, Jesus, be the glory forever. Jude wrote, as he ended his short little letter, now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of of his glory with great joy. I love that. Him who's able to keep you from stumbling. What do you do if you stumble? If you confess he's faithful and just to forgive you and to pick you up and to keep you into the glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.